Alex Mosetta, and welcome to Winner Take All, where we talk about the constant battle between large tech monopolies and traditional incumbents. I'm excited to have principal at Applico, co-author with me on the book, Modern Monopolies, Nick Johnson, join us today. Good morning, Nick. Thanks for coming on. Good morning. Good to be here. You know, one of the topics we wanted to get into, it's been a little bit, uh, you know, COVID has made it a little bit more challenging for us to, uh, you know, get together like we used to. But one of the topics that we wanted to go over was kind of just taking a step back, looking at, you know, the book is called Modern Monopolies, but there is a gap, right, between uh, being a dominant platform business and really having that kind of monopoly status. And I know you've looked at, you know, this piece that screen sharing here that CB Insights came out with recently called Visualizing Tech Giants Billion Dollar Acquisitions. They've got a nice little chart here, um, you know, showing some of the notable uh, billion dollar plus acquisitions by FAMGA in the past 20 years. You know, what's your overlay on all of this? How, how do you think about M&A for, for these tech monopolies? I think there, there's a few different things they've done. Some is what I would call accretive acquisitions that help build their existing network. Um, Facebook, for example, just bought this uh, you know, customer company or is trying to buy them. That would be pretty accretive to what they're trying to do and build more support, I think, with small businesses and these kinds of things. The other would be, for example, their Instagram acquisition or WhatsApp, which is we go buy another platform business, which is its own separate network, and then basically plug that into Facebook's network to help it get scale. Uh, and that's both the advertising network as well as the user network. Um, so th there's, you know, it's a broadly two different types of acquisitions that big platform companies are doing. Most of the major billion dollar ones, YouTube would be another example. Uh, Twitch would be, we go buy another platform company. Um, but but there are some big ones that are in there as well that are these kind of you know accretive tech acquisitions. And we talk a lot about on on the show having that platform conglomerate status, and and how that is a big milestone, particularly on the journey to you know to monopoly. Right? We've talked a lot about like Uber versus Lyft and how Uber has platform conglomerate status, uh, and and we've seen how that differentiation, that diversity of of multiple platform business models has you know, just set them up so much better uh, going into COVID and now, you know, hopefully coming out of COVID. When you look at that former bucket of, of you know, doing M&A to buy kind of adjacent or related platforms that share network value synergies, you know, that, that, that allow you to kind of supercharge uh, the network of the acquired entity with your existing network, like Facebook and Instagram, Facebook and WhatsApp, et cetera. And you think about build versus buy. I mean, Uber Eats was really a build, right? Then I think they started that business from scratch, but but that was really a a Travis Kalanick. That was started way, 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 way back early in the Uber days. Kind of like Google starting, you know, Gmail. Um, you know, when you're a smaller, you as the business, Google, Uber, et cetera, are just much smaller, more nimble. And you kind of are able to do more of that build, I guess, or and have it be organic and successful versus once you really get much larger as a business, whether you're a platform business or any business, do you, do you really see build? Do we see do we see any of these kind of your your a ten billion somewhere in the ten billion dollar you know ten plus billion dollar valuation range like? 
do we see them actually doing build or is it is it pretty much MA is the way for them to kind of do platform conglomerate or you know now have multiple platforms and and get on that journey i think amazon business would be another one that went the build path um i think that's a you know a pretty huge one uh from our point of view i think it's certainly certainly rarer that you see that i think a lot of this tends to happen uh from MA, but then uber eats is interesting because it got pretty big but now it's bought postmates and then uh what was it delive or, or drizzly uh drizzly yeah for alcohol those are both billion dollar plus acquisitions that are growing that business so it's not necessarily either or um and and uh, you know google started google maps and then they bought ways whereas the other one another example would be they bought youtube because their video product so frankly <laughs> And they couldn't they couldn't scale it up, so they you know, they had to do that. I think Google's, for example, of a company uh, that hasn't done a lot of stuff organically. Even Android, for example, had bought that company and then it turned it into something that yeah, you know, way beyond what Android was. Um, so th there's a few different stages of acquisitions. There's you know you buy a kind of mature platform company, you buy kind of the seed of it, and then scale it up. Um, I think we I would say the vast majority of these kind of additional networks that these conglomerates are adding are probably via M and A at least to some degree. But there are examples like Amazon, like Facebook, um, Facebook Messenger would be another example uh, that they've they've kind of grown these new networks successfully uh, organically, more or less. I think Amazon Business is a as a counterpoint that it isn't exclusively M and A that. Um, you know, you can do build. M&A might be a little bit easier from an execution standpoint, a little bit more expensive, certainly, um, <clears throat> but not, you know, completely ruling out build once, you, once you're in that kind of mid-tier platform size. I think those are very good points. This was another one that I thought was interesting, looking at marketplaces as economies. And, you know, this article kind of lining up you got Amazon Marketplace here at $300 billion in GDP. Uh, Shopify, $119. They don't really have like GMV, I guess, in the traditional sense like an Amazon, but they still have them here. eBay at $100 billion. And basically, they line them up and say, you know, look at how big these businesses are uh, by throughput relative to the GDP of other countries like uh you know, Amazon Marketplace has more GDP than South Africa. To add in there too, you know, what would Google or Apple look like? A little bit harder to quantify, but uh, they'd be pretty big too. I mean, you could also put Walmart on this list, even though, you know, Walmart, not really a platform business, not in plat yet. And that's going to be the next thing we talk about, but um, still pretty interesting to, to kind of think about just the, the scale that these things get to and that winner take all dynamic. But even when we look at Amazon Marketplace, they have multiple revenue streams. And, and that's the next topic that um, we wanted to get into is how to think that th these platform, platform businesses, they are, they're massive entities. They have multiple revenue streams. And you can't just look at them and say that they have, oh, they're a platform, they got one revenue streams. Actually, some of the best platform businesses have uh, multiple revenue streams. And actually, you could say multiple business models. It's not just a platform business model. How would you describe that? Yeah, that's kind of that hybrid model. If we go back to the, the acquisition piece, one of the big ones on that acquisition landscape is Whole Foods, for example, which Amazon used uh, to help launch itself uh, in a more meaningful way into the food and grocery space. 
So I, I think that there are, you know, kind of hybrids that we're seeing more and more of where uh, linear business plus platform business uh, can be stronger together. Um, I think, you know, another example of a business like that, Apple, of course, they make and sell phones and then have the app store, which really is the reason why a lot of people buy a lot of those phones is the software in that ecosystem. So I think that that hybrid business model can work very well together. Uh, and, and you're seeing more and more platforms kind of embrace that uh, as they get bigger. In talking about platform revenue as it relates to Plat, Plat is Wisdom Tree's Growth Leaders Fund. Um, you know, we've licensed data to full disclosure to Wisdom Tree to help in the creation of that financial uh, instrument, that ETF, uh, and, and the fund behind or the index behind the fund. But to do that, and what I've got here is some of the, you know, investment materials on Plat. And what this document explains is there are many different types of platform businesses. Um, in the book that, that Nick and I co-authored, we describe a variety of different types of platform business models. And you can actually see those listed here um, on this far most left column. But what those, what those platform models map to is actually if you go to Applico's blog and you look at our, you know, what is a platform business blog article or <clears throat> you go read this great book. Um, you know, this is actually an image in the book which breaks down the different platform types, uh, platform types and, and platform business models underneath that, right? So how, let's start with, you know, how would you kind of describe the different ways that we bucketed platform business models um, and, and why we, you know, created these different uh, depictions? Reason we did that is well, a lot of platforms they have kind of the same core functions which we describe in the book, and they all have this kind of core transaction. Uh, the way those operate can be very different depending on kind of the type of platform. So that's why we tried to basically, uh, you know, classify and create a categorization of what are all these different types of platform businesses out there because some of them look very similar and are doing pretty much similar things, even though their business models might be slightly different. So how do we, how do we make sense of this? Um, and basically, the way we did that at a high level is based on how their core transaction works. So the, 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 the simplest one that we have is basically exchange versus maker. The idea here on the exchange side is pretty much there's a one-to-one -one transaction happening here. There's some kind of limited inventory. So for example, if I buy an item on Amazon, there's a limited number of that widget that exists if it's a physical product not marketplace. So that is you know, a product marketplace is an example of an exchange platform, another service marketplace. If I, if I uh, you know, book a car on Uber, there's one of that car. It's not like 100 other people can book that car at the same time. On the flip side, uh, the maker platforms, whether that's you know, typically apps, software, or content, uh, it, it has this broadcast dynamic. It's one-to-many rather than one-to-one. -one. If I watch a video on YouTube, basically as many other people as the servers can possibly handle can watch that video at the same time. Uh, you know, the, the interaction can be asynchronous. There's no reason. There's no reason that other people can't consume it. In the terms of uh, economists, it's not sort of a rivalrous good, meaning anyone anyone can enjoy it at the same time. There's this kind of one to infinite almost dynamic. Um, so that that's kind of the main split. And then within that, we categorize it basically on what what kind of value is being exchanged in the core transaction. So you've got development platforms of a few different permutations. You've got content platforms. On the other side, you've got you know, product and service marketplaces, uh, investment platforms where the, it's a you know, financial product being exchanged. 
uh, and based on you know wh what kind of value is being exchanged in that core transaction, that's really how we classified these. For each one of these buckets, it means that yeah, at a high level, they're all platform businesses. But but when you actually look at a service marketplace versus a product marketplace, it's actually a different business model. And I think that was the point from our first topic for today was that when you see these platforms do you know M and A, they're actually kind of buying these adjacent business models many times. Sometimes those are different platform types. Sometimes it's a similar platform type in a, in a different part of the industry. But every one of these platform types is actually a very different business model. There's a lot of differences between how a, a marketplace for services operates versus a marketplace for products. Both are marketplaces. One's facilitating services, one products. Right. Lots of difference in the nuance of, of how that business operates to be successful. So when going back to Plat and the index, what we looked at is how do you figure out revenue derived from that platform model? Because these, these, these businesses are now massive. They may have multiple revenue streams. And so now I'm going back to this wisdom tree uh, material here where we talk about nine different platform models and we talk about uh, how their platform revenue is essentially uh, calculated and attributed to these different business models. How would you, you know, help map our depiction of different platform types to, you, you know, how we think about platform revenue differently? Yeah, I think, I think what you see is the ones that have a sort of real world component to the business uh, have a lot more you know, infrastructure costs and these kind of things. So product marketplaces and service marketplace, for example. And when, with that, then you tend to get a lot more linear components to the business because they have to operate in the real world where there still are a lot of, you know, the analog world, I should say, where there's still a lot of uh, linear businesses operating very successfully. So Amazon buying Whole Foods, perfect example. You've seen the same thing in China where Alibaba has invested in grocery stores and logistics operations and the kind of the the kind of you know messy real world that makes the digital platform piece of this work. Um, so the, the the revenue threshold that we have, for example, uh, in our database is lower uh, in terms of the requirement for percent of platform revenue. Amazon would be a perfect example of this, uh, where they have a big linear business, but a lot of what the linear business does, business does, particularly on the marketplace side. Uh, it, or sorry, the, the retail side is basically serve as almost kind of a loss leader and uh, network builder for the marketplace where Amazon makes historically much higher margins. So just to clarify, the, the platform revenue would be the revenue coming from the take rate on the marketplace on the GMV. The linear revenue would be what Amazon is selling and reselling as a, as a 1P, as a first party seller, where they're taking okay. that inventory onto balance sheet and then reselling it. And then, you know, where would like uh, warehouse rental or, or, you know, these other kind of like services they layer on, are those like 1P or those marketplace or those in between? Yeah, I think that the, what we would call kind of ancillary services to the marketplace. So there are different ways that, that platforms monetize. There's typically three main ones. One is a take rate. You take a percentage of the value transactions going through. The second is advertising. So you basically created this network and then you monetize it by bringing a third party that pays for access. Uh, and then the other one would be basically value added services to participants in the network. You can see that in some cases like 
uh, you know, on Twitch, you can get freemium, you know, kind of subscriptions where you get extra stickers and, you know, emotes and these kinds of things and channels. Uh, the other, the flip side of that would be tools to creators. So Etsy uh, has a lot of, a lot of the way their revenue is scaled up, providing shipping services and help running your business to the small businesses that operate on Etsy. So those kind of value-added services would be platform revenue because they're derived from the network itself. Right. The only reason that you can you can actually have those value-added services is is because of the scale and the dominance of the marketplace. In this case, the marketplace model or you know the platform business model. The obvious things would be considered platform revenue, like take rate. But then the things that are built around that platform also. Um, would be also considered platform revenue. The stuff that is, you know, literally linear. I don't know. There's just no other way to describe it. You buy a product, you resell the product. That would not be considered platform revenue. Although, when you look at the overall revenue of an Amazon, their linear revenue drastically you know, uh, outpaces, at least when we look at the marketplace, AWS, little different beast, but at least when we look at the marketplace, they have more linear revenue than they do platform revenue, right? Because the platform revenue is higher margin, but it's a, it's a take rate off of more throughput. There's more, there's more marketplace GMV throughput than there is linear throughput. But when you look at how revenue is, is defined and calculated, it's actually lower platform revenue than there is uh, linear revenue. Is that right? Yeah. Part of that is an artifact of just how accounting is done and for good reason. So when, when you're looking at revenue for Amazon, it's gross revenue, gross sales for the, the 1P business. For the 3P business, revenue is net revenue, which is essentially not the gross sales, but the gross sales you know, minus whatever portion you give to the merchant for that sale. So it's basically just the, the take rate plus services that Amazon keeps itself as revenue. So it, it's not necessarily apples to apples. If you're looking at throughput, it's yeah, GMV to gross sales. And then the reason that distinction is important, it means platform revenue is way, 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 way higher margin than the linear revenue. So while Amazon has you know, putatively more linear revenue, it has much smaller margins on that much bigger pie and then much greater margins on these sort of smaller pie of revenue it gets from the platform. But if you're, you're, you're doing kind of apples to apples, which you know, uh, Mr. Bezos has thankfully done for us, uh, the, as he said, the third-party sellers are kicking our butt. So on the, on the, the retail business, uh, it's the lion's share of the throughput is third-party sellers, even though the majority of the revenue is, uh, you know, that if you look at the, the income statement is from 1P just because of how it gets recognized on an income statement. You know, I think that's a great breakdown. Bringing it full circle back to Walmart. Walmart has some marketplace transactions going on. Walmart overall has over $500 billion in revenue. So, you know, they haven't broken out for us what portion of that $500 billion is, is essentially take rate revenue from their marketplace third party sales. They obviously have, you know, the majority of their linear revenue isn't just e commerce, it's actually physically selling products in their stores. But that means that. What, what, what Walmart would need to, to represent to be considered a platform and then included in the index and then in plat, they would, we would need to start to see a material level, level of platform revenue, which would mean that their marketplace business, the GMV, the take rate from the marketplace. So even if they have a lot of marketplace GMV, but let's say they, you know, they only have a 1% take rate, well, then that means that 
the, the business actually isn't strong enough to consider them a platform, even if they have a lot of GMV, because they can't charge a, a large enough take rate, which means they just don't have as much leverage. They don't, they're not really a platform business. So once they hit a certain threshold, <clears throat> which is what we monitor and, and part of the service that you know, we're providing uh, in the relationship with Wisdom Tree is to figure out when is, when is that platform business big enough as a part of Walmart that we could actually consider them to have a real platform business going and then they could be included. Is that essentially what we're monitoring? Is that how you think about it uh, for, for why Walmart isn't in the index, but, but could be in the future? Yeah, I think it's you know, at what point basically is the platform business uh, you know, within the broader group a big enough part of that, that sort of revenue and income mix that, that it's materially driving you know, the results and the value of that business? I think it, it's it's certainly making an impact, um, but we would view Walmart you know, still as a major majority linear business. I think that's going to change in the next five years, probably. And they, you know, I wouldn't I would be shocked if they're not in plat five years from now. But uh, today they're still not there, and it's still yes, vast majority linear business. Uh, you know that's been their business for decades uh, and very successfully. So that's not to knock them. They do it. They do it very well. It just means that they're not, uh, you know, not big enough as a platform yet to be really considered a full on platform business. Great. So what that means is next five years would be by 2026, which would mark 10 years since they bought jet.com. So if that is possible, if Walmart can go from hardcore linear analog, uh, retailer to platform business, officially in plat within 10 years. I would easily say for Doug McMillan, Mark Laurie, the team, the now departed Mark Laurie, that that is probably one of, if not the best business transformations of the past 50 years. So we'll see. Hopefully it does come true because we're gunning for Walmart here and trying to have some more balance uh, against these tech monopolies. But uh, Nick, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Hope to get you back on the show more often here. Great having you. Thanks for having me. Okay, that's it for us today on Winner Take All. Thanks for joining. We'll talk to you soon.